Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 259 on the hypervigilance of the caretaker with my guest, Christina Lynn. In this episode, Christina and I explore the type of self-care that looks like an abandonment of community, how to embrace your heart rather than your head, living open enough to be heartbroken, and the hypervigilance, anxiety, and burden of the caretaker. Christina grew up taking care of her mom, who she loved deeply, and her mom lived with epilepsy and would have seizures unpredictably. And uh, we talk about the experience that had on Christina, her life as a therapist, her life as a writer, all of that good stuff. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you will too. Before we get to the episode, as a reminder, as I've been reminding you the last, I don't know, handful of episodes, this podcast is coming to an end. It's coming to an end. It's coming to a close. I'm saying farewell to Yumi Empathy. Uh, and it's not because of beautiful, wonderful, feely humans like Christina Lin or the many past guests, all, all 259 of them. Um, it's not because of that. It's because I, I've been doing this show for five and a half years and I am, I am needing and feeling a shift that I need to try something new. I need to challenge myself in other creative ways. I'm working on uh, a thing I'm, I'm, I can hope, hopefully announce at some point uh, later this year. I'm uh, something to be published next year, which is very exciting. Um, and I am building the Feely Human community. We have a membership community. Uh, it's an online virtual community where we have monthly expert-led workshops, and we have a movie club called Movies That Make Us Feel, and we're doing a learning series where we watch documentaries or we watch TED Talks and that sort of thing, and then we we talk about it and talk about what we learned. And uh, there's an emotional check-in series. We have weekly events called Heart to Hearts where we talk about a slew of different things like grieving relationships, like joyful experiences like movie scores all sorts of stuff it's it's a wonderful online space and community where hopefully someday we aspire to where you can be uh seen and heard for the whole person that you are the whole feely human that you are so that's 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 what my main focus will be after after the show ends but i just wanted to thank you for being a part of it thank you for listening I really appreciate it. This show will continue to be available to listen to. You know, it'll always be up and available. And I, I am very proud of it. I'm very proud of all of my many guests who had the courage to be vulnerable and the courage to open up and be empathetic. That's what it's all about. That's what the show is about. That's what healing is all about. That's what community is all about is for us to be witness to each other and to listen and be curious and to allow for the soft, messy, mushy stuff to, to flow. Um, and that sounds gross, but the reality is it, 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 it can be gross and it also can be beautiful. So thank you. Um, there will be a few more episodes, uh, with guests and then I will record a final episode and uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but 
In the meantime, if you want to stay in touch with me and connect with the Feely Human community, the best way to do that is to join the membership community. If you go to feelyhuman.co slash membership, you can learn more about that and join and join us. Join as a feel uh, as a free member, join as a paid member, whatever you want to do. Uh, if you have any questions about the community, uh, thoughts, concerns, etc., you can always email me at hello at feelyhuman.co. And of course, I'm still, I will still sort of be on Instagram here and there, uh, mostly active on uh, at feelyhuman. If you go to instagram.com slash feelyhuman, that's the best place to connect with me on socials. And I said the email, hello at feelyhuman.co. And I think that's it. Okay. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank, for, thank you for listening. Thank you to Christina Lynn for being uh, this week's guest. And where we talk about, that's not word. Those aren't great words. No, I'm just going to keep going. The hypervigilance of the caretaker. You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to be human on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. You, Me, Empathy was created so that we can be witness to our collective humanity through the lens of empathy, vulnerability, and emotional curiosity. We aim to despair. Let's let's re-rack that known. We aim to destigmatize mental health, lead fiercely with our hearts, feel our feelings without shame and judgment, and share our courageous stories so that others may feel less alone and more connected as feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a brave place designed to inspire the beauty in each of us, because each of us, in all of our kaleidoscopic parts, makes up a magical whole that deserves to be seen. Today I'm grateful to be here with writer, photographer, and therapist, Christina Lynn. Hello, Christina. Hi, nice to meet you. Oh my gosh. So happy to have you on the show. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, we first connected back in 2019. Uh, grateful you're here. So let's start with an emotional check-in. How are you feeling? Oh, I think a little nervous and curious. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Nervous mm-hmm. and curious. Those are that's a good combo. I would say yeah. that's probably my every day, every moment. A little nervous, a little curious, you know, something that keeps me a little bit guarded and protected. And then another thing that keeps mm-hmm. me looking and seeking and finding and discovering. Yes. Yes. I feel my anxiety, the nervousness sometimes even fuels my curiosity. Mm, mm-hmm. Do you do you struggle with anxiety? I do. I do. Um, it's very evident a lot of the times. Um, but I I own it. You know, I think anxiety can also be used for the good too. It it can, absolutely. What 
what makes it evident? Like, is it evident to other people or evident to you? Both. So with other people, like, um, you know, I'm a very fidgety person. Um, and then I can be very talkative, but a lot of that's fueled by my anxiety, you know, when I'm around people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as a therapist, I'm able to control that a little bit more. And I think it's because of the space that I set up, yes. you know, for my clients and the calming atmosphere. Um, so it's a little different. But yeah. Yeah. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I appear as an extrovert, but I'm both. It's what I mm-hmm. think. I need time alone. Yes. Maybe an extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. to go to restaurants alone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. I haven't done that in a while, but I've done that and it's it's lovely. Yeah, it's lovely. Mm-hmm. I am an introvert. And so I, I very much need like Jessica and I went. Uh, my partner Jessica and I went to a concert recently. We saw Lucius in concert up in LA, and uh, just being around all those people—it's it's stressful for me. Um, it you know it always has like being at a party, being yeah. It's just so I, I usually have to do some kind of mentally and emotionally preparing breathing exercises, yeah. you know smoking a little weed whatever it may whatever it needs um i i kind of i have to prepare myself for those types of things and then i need a good many hours to just recuperate you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i i hear you i i think there's something about being by yourself and in your own thoughts and your own physical sense and feelings that can be very beneficial for anybody whether extrovert or introvert yeah I've been trying to, I mean, I feel like everyone says this and everyone has said this, but I've been trying to like meditate <laughs> Yeah. more. How do you meditate? Do you, have you tried meditation? I um, recommend it a lot to my clients. I do try. Um, it's the consistency that I struggle with, but I do yoga and mm. doing yoga for me has been a meditative experience. The studio I go to is really good about starting off, you know, the sessions um, in Shavasana and, you know, going over some breathing practices. And then I also like with my clients, if I notice that I'm feeling anxious, I'm like, that's not going to be helpful. So we'll start Mm -hmm. off by doing some breathing um, as well. And I think you could meditate in so many different ways, you know, throughout the day, even if it's just for 30 seconds, you know, just staring off at you know, a flower or mm-hmm. um, being in, trying to remember to be in the moment. So yeah. I try to do that. Yeah, you bring up a good point in that meditation isn't just like sitting down, closing your eyes. You know, it's it for me. It can be going for a walk. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 taking in the world and being curious and listening and breathing as you walk and being really intentional about connecting with those things. You know, on a sort of minute level you know and then sometimes it could be um you know being present with an animal right that can be sort of a form of meditation i have two rescue dogs and one of them is young and we're like in training mode with her and Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of patience and a lot of like reminding myself that i'm not like the center of the universe that you know we're all sort of in this together and 
you know, she's not like out to get me or whatever, you know, um, as we kind of tend to get in our, our heads as humans. Um, but yeah, I, I, and like, I think for me as someone who I think has struggled with connection to my body, mm-hmm. I feel like being still is a good challenge for me. Yes. Yeah. That connection to your body, I think is a huge important piece because a lot of times we find ourselves stuck in our head. Yes. Well, and that's, that's what's valued too, right? The head Mm -hmm. stuff, Um, more head than heart. Yeah. We need both. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Like, you know, the whole thinking logically or, um, you know, cognitively, you know, it's really pushed, but we tend to forget what our body's trying to tell us, you know, our heart, like you mentioned, what is our heart trying to tell us? What is our gut trying to tell us? That's like the first instinct when we were, you know, cavemen, right? Our gut mm-hmm. trying to tell mm-hmm. us to run. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered like, what would happen if like our, our mind and our gut had a conversation, how we'd be able to navigate the world and be present if they were on the same page or connecting. Mm. Yeah. How do we get to that point? I think it's a process. I think it's a journey. I think I'd say I'm saying think a lot. Um, <laughs> I feel. <laughs> I want, right. I feel. <laughs> See, so I think that's one way is to really be aware of maybe your natural inclination to lean one way or the other. Mm. You know, if you're always in your head, okay, I'm aware of that. Um, so I'm going to try and um, bring attention to an awareness to my body. And that could be like you mentioned, going on walks being present in nature, um, slowing down, taking some deep breaths. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're recognizing that, you know, for an example, if your stomach is hurting, okay, well, am I sick or am I nervous about something? You know, is my body trying to tell me to take a breath and slow down? Um, and practice is, you know, something we all have to do. It's a, it is a practice. So it's just being intentional being aware and being able to do it every single day in some capacity will train us to make it a habit. I feel. Yeah. I think what's also important to be, be said, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this is like, you know, we've, we've already talked about like how sort of being in touch with our body or or checking in or doing these meditative practices, practices don't have to be just like, 30 minutes sitting down and I have to, right. and everything has to be silent around me, you know, whatever, because that, that seems inaccessible and, and maybe like a, a, a certain level of privilege, right? Like I have the privilege enough to like take time out of my day to do this. So that piece of it. And then the other piece is like, what sort of informs that is, or what, what is true is that as you've said, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It can be 30 seconds and it could be sort of on your drive to work or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that, in that way, it can maybe be a bit more equitable in how we access it for all of us. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, being accessible, like you mentioned and thinking about the privilege aspect, is that something I've been really med- meditating on is the privilege that a lot of mental health techniques or have, or I don't know if that's the right way to like how a lot of individuals have the 
there's some individuals that have more privilege than others to institute mm-hmm. some of these mental health techniques. Yeah. You know, I have the privilege to go to yoga, but not everyone does. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think trying to ed- um, educate and find ways to support others in thinking outside the box on how to be mindful, you know, and, and breaking down those stereotypes where it's not, like you said, 30 minutes um, doing yoga or being in a pose um, or going to a, um, a place, right. You can be present in your car, driving to work. You can be present with your children, Mm -hmm. Um, being in the moment with your children or your family members, you really can strengthen that relationship, you know? So there's several ways and I'm very, um, a huge believer in self-care. And so that kind of translates into that is the privilege of self-care, you know, thinking outside the box on how we can take care of ourselves besides what society or capitalism is trying to sell us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> self-care, let's talk about self-care because I, I have mixed feelings about it because of these, because of capitalism, because of like wellness influencers, because of Instagram, yeah. right? Yes. You know, so on, on one level, like it, it's undeniable that we as humans need to take care of ourselves in order to better take care of our people, our, our environment, our communities. Like that is, that feels like an undeniable truth to me, right? We have to, we have to know ourselves to like fully deepen our compassion and empathy for others. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that? I do. I do. Um, and that's like the blog that I have to, do a little plug is self-science, the study and care of you, because Mm -hmm. I think you do, you're right. You do have to know yourself before you can take care of yourself and you can't take care of others unless you're well, you know, at the oxygen mask example. Yeah. Um, So I, I do think that's very true. um, Is having that awareness and not everyone does. Yeah, it takes it takes work. Um, so if if that's the sort of the truth that or that's the foundation of what I'm about to say, that we need to take care of ourselves before we can take care of others. You know, the 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 oxygen mask, as you said. Then it also feels like, and what I've witnessed, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. What I've witnessed in that pursuit of like taking care of self. Frankly, uh, an abandonment of mm. community and collective, and and sort of like this self-interested, self-involved pursuit of like individual enlightenment. Mm. And 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 maybe that's my own sort of cynicism and my own sort of where I've, you know, I'm in my early forties now. I I'm sort of more deeply like philosophically connected to ideas like more collective care and liberation for all people right and 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 socialism and these ideas like i i think capitalism is a toxic evil force in the world right so like that's where i'm coming from so that's probably why i have some cynicism toward this but i would love to hear your thoughts on that like how do we care for ourselves and not get lost in that sort of self-centered care, and 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 tr- so we can truly care for people. Because, like, in my mind, that's 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 the path—the path of a human, whether you're, you know, um, whoever you are. The path of the human, in my mind, is: can we 
be better at and 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 more thoughtful about championing and lifting up and cherishing and supporting the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, true statements and um my and I think that's where I I almost want to change the term self-care to something else, but I've mm. been um you know, I sometimes I do get stuck in like take care of yourself first, but I've been trying to change my language to take care of yourself too. So also take care of yourself. Oh, and I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. I've been mm. trying to do that. I'm not effective at it. Um, I have to remember. But you know, some things that I've written about on my blog is self-care is also taking like understanding someone else's perspective. Um, self-care mm. is learning and growing. Self-care is helping others. And I think that it has been, I agree that it has been shown to, again, in our society, like bubble baths and buying candles and um, saying, you know, boundaries, which is like a huge thing right now, um, whether it's good or bad. And there's nothing wrong necessarily with those ideals. But I think we're such an individualistic society already that it has almost, I can see how it can shift. And when I, it's a growing experience for me. So I think, you know, one way that self-care can be collective, I think is more of the idea of if I am doing well, if I have all my needs met, basic needs, so food, shelter, water, housing, if my health is well, if my mental health is um, stable, then I can be effective at helping my family, being an effective um, leader in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, I can be an effective resource for those that are in need, you know, uh, coming up with ideas, um, you know, to help with community growth. So I think thinking of it in that perspective, that the end goal is to build that community. um, But I can't do that unless I'm well, is a way to shift um, as opposed to um, what we generally think when we think of self-care. And like I said, I've been really trying to find a different term for self-care because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, it does have that negative yeah. connotation to it. Um, so I think that's a way, way to shift the thinking yeah. is that you're not effective if you're not well. Always. I yeah. think there is some strength and truth to admitting when you need help too. So. True. Uh, no, no doubt about that. Yeah. I, and I love what you said about, I, I believe this deeply in my heart is is self-care as as checking in on our bias self-care as like mm-hmm. checking in our assumptions self-care as like learning new perspectives i think you said you know gaining yeah. new perspective and gaining new perspective is about um a little there's a lot of self exploration there right cuz you're like mm-hmm. maybe challenging um, what you thought about yourself, you're challenging your ideas about the world, you know, that's, that's all good stuff. That that's a, that's a curious, empathetic, uh, uh, patient listening sort of present with the world perspective or place to be. And I, 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 I find in my experience that when a human, whether, whether they're sort of in this individualistic place, um, it can get very isolating, and it can vi- and can get very like um, 
just kind of armored up against everything, right? Mm -hmm. We see this a lot in politics, religion, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like you, you start, you start to see the world in a certain way Mm -hmm. and you're so your identity, your ideals, your, your values are so like intrinsically attached to these things that nothing can disrupt it. And I think a truly self-care act is to be in a place of disruption always may or or an mm. opportunity for disruption or an opportunity for untethering a little bit what do you think about that yeah yeah no i think that is a disruption helps you grow like when you were saying that the image that came to my mind was pruning um which mm. mm-hmm. um has different terms but like you know with a flower growing you know for an example or a plant you have to like cut it cut at it um or um maybe cut the dead ends off um and then it can grow more effectively um Mm -hmm. so i think that's what i was that's what i was thinking of is that you know in order to to grow you have to be able to stretch yourself change yourself um be open to that growth and i think when our identity is so intrinsically um part of our values like i am this like i am a whatever is your identity and it's being challenged it can shake to you to the core and make you question that identity and that can be scary you know if Mm -hmm. you're in that in that moment Mm -hmm. it is scary um you know and even even saying all this there is a privilege in taking on the world in that way too right because as you know as a therapist a lot some of that armor or or sort of you know kind of holding on to our identities um can be a trauma response can be like what we learned growing up you know so like for me as, as an example i i grew up in an environment that wasn't always safe my dad was very abusive physically and and emotionally and as a sensitive creature i learned to just kind of shut down Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of just kind of no one can get into this 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 heart uh for a long time and it took me it took me like almost dying of anorexia in my 20s to like realize like oh i gotta like i have to face i have to figure out some way to face the world with an open heart otherwise i won't Mm -hmm. be here anymore so that's like maybe an extreme example of like an armor that i had up based on Mm -hmm. my experiences and and some you know maybe certainly less privileged than i was you know have armor because they're living as a black person in america or Mm-hmm. they're uh you know impoverished or whatever it may be right so all of that plays a role um that intersectionality plays a role in this and you know i i still believe like universally true that being open to change is important mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's where that community comes into play where there are individuals that have this armor up because of their tra- as a trauma response 
um, as you know, they're part of their environment out of survival and may not have the privilege to be able to break down this, um, the armor in a safe way or in a um, effective way. So that's maybe where as a community, we come, we come in for those of us that do have the privilege to help in a, in a way, you know, to assist. Mm-hmm. like, I'm here for you. You know, I want to be there and walk with you. Um, how mm-hmm. can I be present with you? How can I help? Um, that's where the empathy and, comes yeah. in. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I always say it like we are first, we grow in connection with others mm-hmm. and we're mirrors for each other. If, if we want to be, if we have the courage to be, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like go live in the world and just like small talk my way to like boredom. <laughs> like I want to like, <laughs> I just want to like, you know, live in a deep, vulnerable way that that puts me in places and scenarios and experiences that can cause discomfort and that can cause heartbreak. Mm. But I did it so long the other way that I just, I just can't do that anymore. It's just like, it's not worth it to me. I'd rather, I'd rather potentially get hurt or potentially grow in a new profound way than, than to be shut down, you know? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So strong. I, I I mentioned a little bit about sort of like my you know, my how I grew up and you know what, yeah. what sort of my armor was. Like what what how did you grow up? What was your what was your childhood like? Oh wow, that's that's a book. Um <laughs> but I it definitely shaped who I am. Um so I grew up I grew up on a small island in the middle of the Pacific, you know, in Hawaii. And I grew up in a church. Um, I no longer, you know, as described to that, but that was my, that was everything, you know, I went to church Sunday, Fridays, Wednesdays for Awanas, um, sometimes Bible study, you know, you were always part of church. Every decision you made had, you know, church and God in mind. And what kind of church was this? It was an ev- evangelical church. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, it started off really small and community oriented and got really large. And I'm still in contact with a lot of the people I went to church with, because I think what makes it different from maybe other evangelical churches was growing up on a small Island. That was your community as well. Mm-hmm, sure. And so there was a lot of intersections there. Um, on top of that, I always joke that I was born to be a servant, born to be a caregiver. And this is a whole other um, focus that I'm trying to, um, like my next focus, I guess, you know, with, mm-hmm. as far as like writing and um, upcoming um, projects that I have is on the caregiver aspect. My mom, you know, had had epilepsy all her life. So therefore all my life. Mm. And so I grew up with this, um, I guess, always having anxiety because you never knew when she was going to have a seizure. You know, it was really severe. She's done, she did every treatment you can think of um you name an epilepsy treatment she did it Mm. and nothing worked and so me being not only her daughter as an identity factor but also her caregiver in a lot of ways really shaped who i am and i think also is part of why i'm a therapist now a helper um 
And so I, I grew up that way. Um, you know, I was able to experience college and living on my own. But then after my dad passed, I got swung back into being her caregiver. And I was able to navigate life a little bit, um, getting my needs met, but I still had to think of her. And that was a really big experience. She passed actually in March. So this has been the first full year, almost full year that I've not had to think or, you know, be present with her, you know, in yeah. that aspect. So it's a, it's a really big change, but I'm sorry. My I'm life sorry. In a nutshell. I'm sorry you. for your loss. That's, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know much about epilepsy. Um, mm -hmm. Do you remember like, how old were you? Do you think when you first started like, Oh, I got a, I mean, I can, I, I totally would understand the anxiety that that makes sense mm -hmm. because it is like, I I've seen it sort of, I guess I've seen it um, sort of depicted in like TV and film and stuff. And I don't know how accurate that is, but like what I've seen seems like, you know, a violent shaking and like, it, it seems just mm. terrible, like to witness. Do you remember the first time you saw it? And, and was that explained to you that that was going to happen? Yeah. So I can tell you like my first memory of it, but I will say that, um, my mom struggled with epilepsy even when I was like, when she was pregnant with me, you know, mm -hmm. uh, when I was little, like the shake, and she had violent grand mal seizures is the shaky seizures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then there's, um, petty mal spells where you're staring off into space. Um, there's psychogenic seizures. I might be getting some of this wrong. So I apologize if I am where it's like anxiety or something triggers that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's even, she's had some seizures where, she, I remember she walked into someone else's house, used their bathroom, and then went home. She didn't wow. remember anything. Okay. Yeah. Um, and her medication that she took was, um, like, one was Depakote, which is used for mood disorder as well. And mm -hmm. so there was those things. But to answer your question about my first, I'll go with my first memory. I was five years old. She had a seizure. It was shaking and violent. She fell on the ground. And I called 911 and the person on the other end and I'm thinking, I'm fine. Okay, hold on, I, back up a sec. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is the five-year-old calling 911? Do, do you have no siblings and was your dad not there? He was at work. Good he question. He was at work. Okay. Yeah. Good observation. And I was the oldest. Okay. So um, the police officer on the other end was like, if this is a prank call, you're going to have to go to jail. So I'm five. I think I sound like sounded like a five-year-old. Yeah, I'm five. <laughs> I don't know what a prank is, sir. Right. So I run, I hang up, I run to my neighbor's house. I get um, the neighbor's child who's seven to come with me. I'm like, my mom fell and they run back with me again. Yes. Where are all the parents? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and as I come back, the ambulance and the police officer showing up. Mm. and the emt actually knew my mom really well they went to church with us but also she happened to always be there when my mom had a seizure because she would have mm. a seizure at the store in the middle of the road um at the beach um everywhere and that was my first memory is like this fear you know this ang this angst i need to help my mom i need to call the police but then i got chastised for doing what i was supposed to do um hmm. was told was scolded so 
but there's but, so many stories. <laughs> I mean, clearly that's, I mean, it's very dangerous. Like mm-hmm. she, did she drive? No, she did not. Okay. Um, yeah, there was a lot of restrictions, but credit to my dad. He really wanted to have her have her own autonomy, um, but should be really encouraged. And again, her seizures were so severe that, you know, driving was taken away. Um, there's, you know, she couldn't, she didn't want to be alone for a too, too long period of time, but my dad, she couldn't go swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad really believed in her having her autonomy. So, you know, she still tried to be as independent as she, she could. She tried to write. Um, she tried to hold down some jobs, but unfortunately seizures got in the way. And back then sounds like it's, you know, a hundred years ago, but in the nineties, at least there wasn't a lot of protections, you know, I think against that. Mm. So she would get let go. Um, but she t- still did a lot and overcame a lot with her seizures. Sure. Um, so that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot to hold, it, especially yeah. such a, um, I mean, it sounds very unpredictable, right? Like you, you can't yes. sort of gauge like, oh, you know, my mom has a seizure around this time. You know, it's like there's none of <laughs> right. that, right? So it's like I could see you as a young human being a little bit like on guard uh, a lot. Yeah. Yes. Always being hypervigilant, you know, looking around, um, not knowing what's next you know, noises, I still get triggered by certain noises, because it reminds me of my mom. And even, you know, now, you know, as a 37 year old, I jump. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was also a lot of like, misconceptions, you know, on epilepsy, like people were like, well, do you have it or, you Mm. know, being shunned. And then even within the Christian church, there was some individuals that are like, well, if you prayed away, it will go away. Sure. A classic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And was there a point in, you know, you said you started essentially being a caretaker at five. Like, at what point did you realize that, like, okay, this is, this is too much or did, or did you? I, that's not for lack of love, but for, for like, I, I am maybe becoming, I'm, I'm in middle school now and becoming a teenager. I have to like have some autonomy. Like, did you have those feelings and frustrations? I think it wasn't until after my dad passed because, you know, um, the community we grew up, grew up in, there was a lot of support. Um, Um, and you know, I did talk about some of the negative stereotypes, but at the same time, there was a lot of support. Um, and then my dad, he was, a um, he did film and video. So he was able to, you know, work from home. He had his own company. And so there was some transitions that allowed for me to have a little bit of autonomy, but after he passed away, I took on his role, um, as being her main caregiver. And that was when I 24. Okay. But up until 24, you were just sort of like part of the network of community that supported your mom. Yeah. Part of the network, but maybe a little bit more. So, so like, you know, my dad and then me and, um, and then there was the community. Like I, 
flew with her to get surgery done when I was in high school, you know, for the weekend because my dad couldn't because he had to work. Or sometimes I was the person they called um, if they couldn't get in touch with my dad. Um, you know, I remember going to the store with her when I was like seven and catching her, you know, seven wow. or eight. Yeah. So kind of nuanced. It's just, it wasn't until when I was 24, I realized like, I didn't want to make, I don't want to call it a mistake, but my dad had all these goals and dreams for himself, but he also had this love and empathy for my mom. And I think sometimes he lost himself in that. Um, the example is he died of cancer and he didn't catch it or we didn't think he knew about it mm. until later. And it's because my mom was always first and that just showed that love that he had for her. But it, you know, at the same time he forgot about himself Yeah, and I didn't want to make that same mistake. And so I started to have these boundaries with my mom. I, I don't want to use the term boundaries, um, but like mom, you're at, you know, she had to live in a assisted living because of after he passed because of the medication she and the seizures 24 seven. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, utilize the supports that your caregivers as well as me, utilize your friends as well as me. Um, and then we moved to Arizona so I can go to grad school. But I chose Arizona with my mom and mine, because in reality, oh. I wanted to go to the East Coast. But that's mm -hmm. too, that was too far. Um, family was on the West Coast. So that's how I tried to grapple with thinking, like making sure my needs were met. But taking care of her too. And it, and so it was around 24 where I had that realization, but it's still, it's a process, you know, there, it, sometimes it ebbed and flowed. And when I think back, I'm like, Oh, maybe I was too hard on some of the boundaries in some situations. And then maybe some situations I, like my dad lost myself at her. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's no correct, uh, sort of balance with that. Yeah. It's such a, messy hard thing um and since your mother passed in march you said mm -hmm. how has that felt weird very talk about identity i think identity shaking um mm. because a lot of my own goals and dreams and stuff that I had like creative outlets that I had kind of flew to the surface really quickly. Um, I was not able to fully focus on that, but at the same time reflecting on my relationship with her, cause I was her daughter and caregiver. And sometimes I think those intersected and other times I think I was, um, focusing more on like her needs in a way of caregiving, as opposed to let's be present in our relationship mm -hmm. as mother and daughter, you know? Right. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, how, how can you not like lean on the caretaker identity when you have, you know, 30 plus years of you, preparing and anticipating yeah. you know like that's such that's hard that takes time to you know d dissolve right like that piece of it you know and it will take probably years yes yeah and i think about others who because i 
um, she lived, she had to live eventually, you know, in with a lot of nursing care and I could afford that. So we lived in different towns and COVID just shook up a lot of things. Um, but I had, I still had some of those as an adult, like separation, um, which I'm thankful for. But I think about those individuals that don't have that privilege where their family members living with them or yeah. um, they have to quit their job so they can take care of them full time because they can't afford nursing. Right. And when that individual passes away, I think it must be even harder to be able to find, like, figure out that at loss and your identity then, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like your connection to your mom and this being this sort of not all consuming, but a, a certain level of consuming, you know, caretaking role? How do you feel like that side of you or that that time commitment has impacted your own relationships with others, friends, partners, etc.? That's a good question. I don't know if I've ever <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think so. I'm, you know, trying to process a lot of this through writing on my own, like a, a side, mm -hmm. like a journaling. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing that I thought about is like a lot of my friends growing up would be like, you know, you're a servant. You know, that's your, I don't know if you're familiar with like, spiritual gifts or something you know like that's your mm. that's what you were born to do i'm like yeah sure sure yeah i was born to be a servant here for my mom and so i've always been that helper like i always want to help i always want to um i feel fulfilled when i'm helping somebody mm -hmm. um but i also think that those like the um the armor you know, was also up to in the sense, like, can I really be authentic to myself? If you know, like, is this being a helper really who I am? Or was it just because that's the situation? And so having with relationships, having that struggle of being authentic, um, mm. sometimes can be hard. I'm a very open person, but or honest, I'm a very honest person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that being the authentic, knowing who I really am, you know, and so I would sometimes shift depending on who I was with, you know, to mold myself to that person. Cause I didn't really know who I was, except that I was a daughter and a caregiver or a servant. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see how it, 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 it would be challenging, especially if, you know, it sounds like that was your world. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, the, the sort of spiritual gifts component, I remember hearing that because I, I grew up some in some evangelical spaces mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and even within that, like, sort of quote unquote servant idea, you know, evangelically, um, there's a lot of like, you know, especially for women, right? There's a lot of like, be yes. silent, be helpful. <laughs> make me food or whatever like there's a lot of misogyny and sexism with you know sort of entrenched in that yeah um which which is shitty um but it's part of it i guess that needs to be disrupted and yeah 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 and i think that was part of like 
when I was younger, I was like, see me, hear me, I'm right here. Hello. And it would kind of swing maybe to a, an unhelpful point with friendships, it kind of exhausting because I wanted people to really see who I was, but I didn't really know who I was mm-hmm. except in what I was told I was. Yeah. Yeah. So outside of like you being a therapist, writer, how how do you define yourself? Like who 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 are you, Christina? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, such a deep question. I consider myself as you know, in the beginning you asked about feelings, being curious. I am a very curious person. Um, I like to explore new things, adventurous. Um I don't like being put into a box um, at all. And so if I feel like you're in a box, I might do something to show you I'm not in that box, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, and I think I'm also very open um, to other opinions, um, thoughts, and just kind of accepting where you're at. I hope that's what I think I am. You know, I could be wrong, but I do strive to accept the person where they're at yeah i mean i imagine that's a crucial part of being a therapist yes yeah Yeah. you would hope so (laughs) i mean i remember i think i remember my first therapeutic experience was like it might have been like my it was like i was like maybe a teenager and it might have been like one of those Mm -hmm. quote-unquote christian therapists Oh, okay. Which, you know, like, uh, there's nothing wrong with, like, a therapist being a Christian. uh, But, like, when you're sort of operating as a Christian therapist, and maybe some of it is, like, pray it away, maybe Mm -hmm. some of that, right? Mm -hmm. Then, you know, then you get into territory that's a little bit, uh, you know, unprofessional and unsafe, maybe. Yeah, it's hard to, when you, I think when you are, as a therapist, you have a worldview or a lens that you see the world through, and you don't, it's hard and you don't know how to nap, like shift that lens or take that lens off for the moment to meet with your client. It can really be hard to, I think, walk them through, um, be present with them and walk them through, you know, the traumas that they might be having. Um, and so you, that's understanding your own bias and being able to grow, whether you're a therapist or just any individual, again, circles back to that self care piece, because we don't allow yourself to grow you're not going to be vibrant and you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely how you know this curious like you being this curious person open and honest person how do you feel like that has informed you as a therapist and by that i mean like you know because because the the sort of the the, the box of therapy right there mm-hmm. there is a box there and the uh, sort of a, a system that you're operating in. And I've talked to Dr. Jennifer Mullen about this, you know, of decolonizing yeah. therapy, you know, she's, she, she's like within this system and, and she loves to be this helper and caring for people and, and witnessing people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she knows too, that like the system is pretty damaging in some ways and and not very supportive for therapists and practitioners and it's you know it 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 supports private practice and then not a lot of people can afford that you know and it's just like how do you how do you exist in it and 
you know, maybe do your part to like disrupt it too. Hmm. It might, it sounds like a grassroots effort. You know, I mean, I respect Dr. Jennifer Mullen, you know, with her, like how she's trying to institute change at the grassroots level and, mm. you know, questioning the status quo. And I think that's part of it, you know, um, as therapists or just in any profession where maybe there's been, there's like this weird nuance of working with individuals where you have, you hold them, like, you know, it's, I may not be doing heart surgery, but I'm helping with your heart. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's that's a huge responsibility. So I think being open to question the status quo, being open to um, people questioning you too. Like I'm like, please give me feedback. Please, I'm, I do a lot of feedback in form therapy where, like, please provide feedback in how you know um, our conversations going. You know, how can, is this working? That's and great. yeah, I yeah. And that's that being open. You know, I think people are mm-hmm. scared to be open and honest because that means you're being vulnerable. Well, and there's like, I love that you say, I mean, feedback is so crucial, right? To mm-hmm. growth. And and yeah. I love that you operate that way as a therapist because when as a human or a therapist or anything, like when you get to a point where you're like, I'm right, mm-hmm. problematic, deeply problematic, right. you know, like the, <laughs> deeply like there's because then at that from that mindset you're like there's nothing that you're at the ceiling and there's no growth there's no opportunity there yeah 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 Hmm. and you know with the experience you shared you know um with your first therapist like that can happen like i'm right like the lens you look at the world like this is how i look at the world i'm right Mm -hmm. and doesn't feel safe like you're mentioning Mm -hmm. yeah so how like you are you still a spiritual person? Do you have faith? Um I don't know how to define that. I don't I think there's more to the world than just, you know, Christianity. Um, you know, I lean into a lot of Eastern philosophy. Um I also, you know, growing up in Hawaii, I really appreciate a lot of indigenous wisdom that I think is being like snuffed out right now. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and there's just so much like um other cultures that has so much wisdom that they you know can teach us instead of just this one track christianity um i don't go to church yeah i guess i'm just kind of whatever right now um it's weird to say though because like i said a lot of i'm still in touch with a lot of the community back home and you know they make sure like hey did you read the bible today i'm like no (laughs) well there I, I think I think that's beautiful. I, I think I, I am I am open. Like I mm-hmm. I I, I want to be open to any and all things. Like that that and I, I, I try I try to be, right? Yeah. You know, and, and it's and it's challenging and I I I think there was a there was a good when I sort of moved away from that world of evangelical christianity which is i was raised in mm-hmm. there was a good sort of like let's go the opposite direction you know like as we do naturally right like mm-hmm. yeah you know and i had my atheism years and i had my like you know weird philosophy that i don't want to share because it's too embarrassing years you know oh <laughs> um you know and 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 now you know i'm 41 uh mm-hmm. 
I like to be open. I I think there there is beauty and wisdom in in in, in a lot of it. Yeah. And by it, I mean, you know, cer- certainly some of Jesus's teachings, right? There's a lot of like yeah. empathy and compassion there that that is great and wonderful, you know, and and certainly some of the Buddha's teachings and you know things of that sort. But yeah, you get it. Like, there's you get into a space where you're like, I'm right, my way of looking at the world is right, and you're right. wrong. As like we're some sort of oppositional force to you, like that's yeah. that's dangerous. That leads to violence. That leads to othering. That leads to exclusion. And hmm, that seems to be what's <laughs> you know a lot of things that's a lot of it. Today. But yeah. that's that's uh, you know, and you can speak to this as a therapist or a curious person is like uh the basis of that or the inspiration of often is like fear or anxiety mm-hmm. fear of like uh i'm gonna lose my place in the world like uh, white men saying like uh like i want to grab on because like i yeah. used to power i you know i'm losing it right or whatever you know um yeah i i, I feel like a lot of it is fueled by fear and anxiety yeah. And like I said, losing it and that losing their the identity that you hold near and dear to yourself. Like, oh, yeah. I'm, if this is gone, then who am I? Yeah. Hmm. So you have your writing and self science is selfscience.org is your blog, right? Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. you mentioned you're writing a book. So it's the self-science blog um, composed together um, that I want to kind of revamp and, or I have revamped it to be published as a book. Um, I am in that learning stage of what to do, what not to do, you know, um, as far as that process, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. submitting to agents and stuff like that. Um, So that's, yeah, so that's one project. And then I like to do fiction. So I participated in the national novel writing month. Yeah. NaNoWriMo or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can never say it. Um, And so I have a lot of stories I want to tell through that, you know, through the fictional lens. And so I was able to do that. um, And that's something I want to really work on too. But then see, I sound like I'm all over the place. Um, Mm -hmm. But since my mom passed, I have, been toying with maybe even writing a memoir about my experience with her um so yeah so i'm just writing all over the place but the main one right now is that self-science blog trying to turn that into a readable like print book maybe a journal um so we'll see where it goes hopefully hopefully something bites (laughs) yeah it's 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 a lonely path to be a writer yeah yeah, it's lonely, a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the self-science blog, all the it's 52 weeks of self-care ideas. So that's still there. And so if anyone's ever wanting to think, find ways that are not just bubble baths, I have a list of many different self-care um, ideas that you can do. And you know, so. Amazing. Well, I'll make yeah. sure to link that in the show notes. Um, Let's let's talk about empathy heroes. We always kind of wrap up the show talking mm-hmm. about people in our lives who are empathetic, compassionate, feely humans. Yeah. I'll go first and mention okay. that just yesterday, uh, Raphael Warnock won in Georgia. 
and uh, he is the Reverend Raphael Warnock. He is uh, um, my empathy hero, um, hmm. and he's my empathy hero because he he actually like it seems I don't know him personally, but it seems he has like deep compassion for the people of Georgia and yeah. uh, truly wants to enact change and truly cares about the hearts of the humans uh, in that state. And uh, his foe, Herschel Walker, uh, gosh, um, well, I don't need to go into that, but I'm just grateful mm -hmm. that uh, Warnock won and um, grateful for, you know, that sort of democratic win. Um, so yeah. that feels good. And that feels a little bit of load off. Um, yeah. So yeah. Warnock is my empathy hero this week. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Empathy hero this week. Oh man. I mean, so it doesn't have to be this week. It could just be like your <laughs> <Okay>. empathy hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would actually say my mom, you know, um, she had a way of really being present with somebody and not judging them. I mean, she was like, she loved Jesus to the max. I mean, she, you know, she carried her Bible and her wheelchair everywhere she went, but she didn't judge anybody. She was present with them. Um, she would cry with them. She would want to be able to help in her way, even through her limitations. Um, and, you know, just, I think it's because of her experience and like, her own trials she was able to understand like you know her through her worldview that you know we all need love and we all need compassion and empathy and so mm -hmm. yeah yeah if it's could be a lifetime um person yeah. i would say i would say her for sure yeah i love that that's beautiful um it's a perfect empathy hero yeah yeah, yeah. amazing uh well Christina, um, remind the listeners where they can connect with you and, and you know, read your writing and all that stuff. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram under writer underscore Christina Lynn. And I have a linked tree um, link on my profile where you can go on my Medium um, profile and read some writings. My blog is on there. And then I have another website that just kind of has um, other links to past articles. I've um, done a couple on my mom opinion pieces. Um, and personal essays. And so, yeah. And, you know, just on my Instagram, just, you know, sharing with the world, the process of being a therapist who likes to write. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, Amazing. Well, yeah. uh, like I said, those links will be in the show notes at feelyhuman.co listeners. Uh, Christina, thank you for being a part of you, me empathy. Thank you for having me. This was such a joy. Yes. Same. I, 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 I loved it as well. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's You, Me, Empathy. Empathy.